When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blue Double 360. I'm Rebecca Fiorentino, and throughout the year, we'll be bringing you real stories about unreal athletes. You may listen to Duke Athletics radio broadcast or watch videos from Blue Double Network, but this is a chance to expand on those people, moments, and stories that define Duke. We're going to take you behind the scenes across all different sports and sit down with student athletes, coaches, and the legends of Duke, a chance for them to tell their stories. We'll start our tour around campus with conversations on football preseason training camp with the season right around the corner. There's some guys who have have kind of waited their turn and they're very talented and I'm interested to see who, who wants it the most. We're waking up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there, you gotta hop out of bed and say, hey, I'm ready to go. I'm gonna get some pancakes, you know, it's breakfast time. At this point last year, you know, he didn't know that it was going to be Daniel's team. It ended up being Daniel's team. Coaches feed off each other, and so that energy is, is better in every way than it was a year ago. This is Blue Devil 360, the official podcast of Duke Athletics. And off we go with the 2017 football season for the Duke Blue Devils as they get set with fall camp. David Shoemate here, high atop Wallace Wade Stadium here at Brooksfield. Delighted to have you with us for the first edition of Blue Devil 360 as we get you set for the first game of the year. It's September 2nd against NC Central. That's a 6 o'clock kick. As I said, I'm David Shoemate taking the baton this year from Bob Harris, calling the play-by-play for football and men's basketball, and delighted to be joined here for this first podcast by Dave Harding, a four-time academic All-ACC selection. He started 41 games at both offensive guard and center during his tenure with the Blue Devils. He was a team captain in 2013, obviously, That was a team that won the ACC Coastal Division Championship, and he'll be joining me in the booth this year for the radio broadcast. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Dave. Um, And uh, really excited about this podcast and the opportunity to work with you and uh, the chance to also get to hear from some student athletes across multiple sports. Uh, but really excited to dive into f- some football conversation over the next few weeks. Practice just underway. They're getting set to put the pads on. And when you're out there watching those guys, any any desire to get back out there? Um, no, not during camp. More so when the game days roll around. But, uh, you know, it's fun being part of the media now because it's uh, your, your own level of practice and um, – work to get up to a game day which is ultimately the broadcast so it's a nice transition for me where I don't miss it all that much and honestly during the heat of August um, it's something that I actually really enjoy the, being able to hop over into the air conditioning quickly is, is enjoyable. 
The third member of the podcast is a 1980 graduate of Duke. He's the senior editor and producer of the Duke football television show with David Cutcliffe and the editor of Go Duke the magazine, John Roth. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks a whole lot, David. It certainly is exciting for me to be here with uh, Dave and David, and I'm looking forward to this season and the broadcast team that we've put together for Duke football 2017 with uh, David Shumate at play-by-play, Dave Harding and analysis and John Roth on the sidelines this year. So I think it's going to be a, a fun time for all three of us. And we hope that it's going to be a fun time for our listeners as they try to follow Duke football this year with a new sound. John adding sideline duties to pregame show hosting duties. How long on the football broadcast for you? Since the 1999 football season. Wow. So it's been a while and it's been uh, very enjoyable. Uh, probably most enjoyable during the time that, uh, Big Dave Harding was on the field for the Blue Devils Thank because you. that was certainly one of the uh, the Cutcliffe era, and sp- specifically the last second half of the Cutcliffe era to this point has been really some some great uh, great some great moments for Duke football that fans uh, of all the Blue Devils have cherished quite a bit just because of the you know the four straight bowl games and the Coastal Division championship and there just have been so many highlight moments of the second portion of the Cutcliffe era. So I'd say uh, it's been uh, it's been a labor of love, but really fun. I was eight years old when you started, John. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> right to it. <laughs> well, we'll turn our attention to the 2017 season in just a second. But first, guys, a look back to 2016. Four and eight, obviously not the record the guys were looking for. There were some injuries they had to battle through, but there certainly were some high points. Handoff goes to Jalee Duckett. Got a big hole to run through. Down inside the 20-yard line. Breaks a tackle on his way to the end zone for the first touchdown of the 2016 Duke football season. Roll to the right to throw, and it is complete up the sidelines. Oh, yeah. And it's a tackler to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the house. A touchdown for the Blue Devils. And a great catch and run by Anthony Nash. A.J. Reed. Ready to kick it, snap, spot, kick, up, and it is good. And the Blue Devils take a 38-35 lead over the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame with one minute and 24 seconds remaining in this ballgame. And here's the drop. The look to the left side, and it is knocked down. Incomplete. Ball game over. Yes, baby. 40 seconds left. Wow. My gosh, they were warriors out there today. They, all of you guys and all of us are Duke gang, and you know what I mean by that. They held Duke gang high today. That's how we play football. Let's see if he tries to take it himself. A little jump pass into the end zone, and a flag goes down in the end zone. But a catch anyway. Trubisky takes the snap, backpedals, looking, looking down the middle. Here comes the oh. rush, holding back there. Flags all over the place. Woo, intercepted pass on top of that. How about that, sports fans? 102 to play, and the Blue Devils come up with a big interception to protect the one-point lead. And the Blue Devil players are headed for the corner to get that doggone bell. You just beat UNC by one point. What are you feeling? I feel it. it's amazing right now. I got students all around me. I love it. How about the victory bell? What are you going to do first when you get over there? I'm going to ring it. Ring it like a narrow apple board. I'm going to ride it all that stuff. Hey, congratulations. Go ring the bell. Woo! The joy. The deserved joy. I know how hard they've worked. So thrilled for our seniors. That memory, and you know this, the memory of your last home game is vivid, and it lasts forever. Well, John, a win over Notre Dame certainly stands out on the road, 38-35. to 35. Also, that win at home over North Carolina. North Carolina ranked at the time 15th in the country. Four straight year with a win over a ranked opponent. Yeah, this, certainly that's something that uh, the Blue Devils have uh, made almost a hallmark under Coach Cutt, and, and that is winning on the road. Uh, they've done, they've had a tremendous amount of road victories during Coach Cutt's tenure. Going back earlier in his, in his career at Duke when they had a big win over Boston College at the end uh, of a game when Boston College missed a field goal, and uh, the the, the 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 ball hit the upright and came back into the field of play and Duke was celebrating a big win and from that point on there have been so many road wins under Coach Cut and I think the Notre Dame one last year when when you look at all the places you can win a game in college football to go into South Bend and pull out a win at Notre Dame it's got to be considered one of the highlights of that whole entire season injuries or not and hard to ignore some of the injuries that the team suffered throughout the year losing. Really a whole host of captains throughout the year. Jalay Duncan tore his left Achilles tendon in a loss to Georgia Tech. Devon Edwards, a safety, tore his ACL and MCL in his left leg on a kick return against Notre Dame. And, of course, Dave Thomas-Cirk, the quarterback, tore his left Achilles tendon in preseason 
disappointing to have those injuries, but boy, did it ever open the door for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones and several other key playmakers for the Blue Devils on both offense and defense that are setting have set them up nicely for this 2017 year. But you mentioned Daniel Jones. He tied or established 15 single-season rookie records last year. Uh, you could see his confidence and his understanding of the game build game after game. And toward the end of the season there with John, as he was talking about the Notre Dame game, games against North Carolina, really when that competition got to the upper level, he was at his best. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to see coming year is how he can continue on that upward trajectory against what's going to be a really tough 2017 schedule. And John, he was at ACC Media Days. Speaking of Daniel Jones, he was certainly the focal point, and he seems to be the focal point going into the season. A lot of pressure for a Red Sort sophomore, but he seems to be welcoming the challenge. Yeah, he was put in a tough position, as Dave referenced a moment ago. Going into last season, it was Thomas Sirk's team. He had led the Blue Devils to their first bowl win since 1961, the previous year at the Pinstripe Bowl, and he's the leader of the team, but he had that injury. And he, he even though he fought back a, uh, with his Achilles injury throughout the entire offseason, you thought he might have a chance to be ready by the opening game of the season, and he had a relapse in preseason practice. And all of a sudden, Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback. He never played a snap for the Blue Devils and really stepped up. And really the second half of the year, for him started making a lot better decisions he ha obviously had that big win against Notre Dame early in the in the season but later on in the year you know, he had like he cut down on turnovers tremendously and really started to show some of the poise that you would expect out of a guy learning on the job and that's what he did the entire season and obviously you think that uh, having that season under his belt and then what he's been able to do in the offseason since then sets him up for a really exciting sophomore year. So you've got a returning starting quarterback. You also have a lot of consistency within the coaching staff. The offensive coordinator, Zach Roper, hasn't changed. Jim Knowles is back as the defensive coordinator. Jim Bridge overseeing the special teams. All the position coaches are the same. And for head coach David Cutcliffe, that's more than he could have asked for. When you compare 2016, and I named it the year of the new. So in that circumstance, we had a new offensive coordinator, a new special teams coordinator, a new defensive line coach, a new tight end coach, a new offensive line coach. That's unheard of, um, or at least it has been in my career. So staff meetings leading up to this have an entirely different flavor. The first meeting uh, going in with special teams, you know, Coach, coach Bridge is spot on and comfortable and uh, when you know both lines of scrimmage are for the second year, hearing the same things. And uh, coaches feed off each other. And so that energy is, is better in every way than it was a year ago. I know you guys are spending some time evaluating depth charts and looking at systems. Curious, I know that's something what the coordinators and position coaches are focused on. From the head coach's perspective, what are you looking for out of camp? Well, I am very, very tuned in to depth chart. We've had a lot of scheme conversations we've had those meetings I do that in the in the house there um, once once we've moved forward with install uh, now I don't have to stay as focused there but I'm I'm always focused on players not plays I will go up now and take our roster after practice one and do a two to three word uh, commentary on every player that was on the field today uh, I am I told our team, I, I'm not ready to say we've got great depth. We have adequate depth at this level of college football, which is a great thing. It's the best friend a coach can have. So what they need to be displaying out there for me is the habits that the head coach expects to see, which are all great habits on that field because we have choices as to who we're going to line up with. When you look at one of the things that is new this year is the new NCAA rules regarding two-a-days and practice schedules and things like that. How does that impact the preparation for the season? Well, we've had to just be a little more creative. I've been a cookie-cutter guy. We've done it the same way for a long time. Um, going five weeks, I'm concerned of the wear and tear. We, we play nine straight games. There's a balance in getting your team ready and getting your team uh, overstressed and, and overworked. Uh, but we have work to do. Uh, we are going to try to get in probably 26 practices of the 29. I've never used 29 somewhere in there as a coach. You look at your team and say, we're tired. You know, we better be careful with them. But uh, I believe we've got a great plan. We're going to do a lot of teaching off the field. This schedule does allow us 
to have some quality time with walkthroughs, and you can use a ball now and a walkthrough. So it's really a great learning experience that will help us minimize the amount of time we get on the field. Um, the, other, the other thing that I think is, is critical is, again, as you look at our, our staff and them managing the time, them managing, we get extra meetings with freshmen. Uh, the challenge for us, and you know, people don't think about these things. We're in school for two weeks, and here we are in camp. That's a nightmare. Um, it's not a nightmare for us. We'll manage it. It's a nightmare for players. It's not fair. Guys are going to be headed into finals. Guys are doing some really tough, tough work in courses that they're taking. And by bumping this thing back, you know, we used to have a week we dealt with school. Now we're dealing with two weeks. And so hopefully we have figured that out right. How does impact impact the balance of teaching football versus teaching, as you said, just time management, especially for some of the younger guys? Well, uh, the, I told our freshmen yesterday they're getting ready to have the toughest 14 days of their lives. They had they had no idea. They think they they, they understand it. Oh, I've practiced football, but never like this. The other the other impact for for all of these guys is that we're having to get up really early. You better manage your day. I don't want them sleeping two and a half, three hours in a day. I want them going to bed. We're trying to get eight, eight and a half hours of sleep a night, but it's an early lights out. So it's going to really challenge us from a conditioning standpoint, uh, I mean a discipline standpoint, excuse me, at night doing what you're supposed to do. We had a 4.40 a.m. wake up today. Uh, you got to put time aside to do your studies, time aside to stay up with what we're doing football-wise. Coach obviously talking about the new NCAA regulations that essentially outlawed two-a-days coming into the season, mandated a certain off day, but they extended the preseason by a week so teams could get all of their practices in that they needed to. Dave, that presents some challenges for the guys and puts some pressure, I would think, on, on the more experienced guys on the team to sort of set the tone. It does, and you know, it's a really interesting rule change when you look at it from the player's perspective. Camp's already a grind. I can tell you that's some of the toughest few weeks of my life that I've ever experienced uh, over every year. And, yeah, it does get easier as you get older, but it's still something that you have to really prepare for mentally and physically. And to add a week on to the front end of that while players are still trying to finish up class, you have to move out of your current uh, living situation, whether that's in an apartment or uh, somewhere on campus into the hotel or into another place. There, there's a lot going on, and uh, it extends that entire grind an extra week. So I think Coach Cutcliffe, the rest of his staff, are going to have to be careful with how they balance things. And they've done a good job so far through the first week of camp providing players with off days, but also with days of just lifting. With that said, the coaches are, are handling it, but also a mentality has to be set from the older players, like you mentioned. Guys like Brian Fields on the defense. On the offensive side of the ball, you have several veterans, especially on the offensive line. One of those players, Evan Lyle, a recent transfer from Ohio State, is going to be looked to to play a lot of football for Duke and anchor that right side. I think that as an O-line anywhere in the country, you know, I mean, even in high school, that you're going to go out there and it's going to be a battle every day. And if you have any other mindset, you're going to have a bad day of practice. So you're sitting, we're waking up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there, you got to hop out of bed and say, hey, I'm ready to go. I'm going to get some pancakes. You know, it's breakfast time. And so I think you just got to have that mindset. It's just it's battle. It's fun. Go get yourself something. And I think that uh, it'll carry a long way. I got to ask also about you mentioned the team taking you in completely. Mm -hmm. um, who have you been interacting with most off the football field during yeah. the downtime of the summer? Um, and uh, how's that been going? Yeah, um, I think it's been mainly the O-line. One of the things we've been working on as a line is becoming closer. Like, I mean, when you guys, when you played here, you guys were, from what I've heard, a really close O line. And I think we're trying to get that back. And that's what we've been doing in the summer, just hanging out as an O line. We've been having cookouts. And I think we're coming close to that group, which is important. We used to do um, some wiffle ball tournaments. Have yeah. you guys done anything like that? I went over to Coach Bridges with the tight ends, and I played some wiffle ball against his daughter, but nothing with the O line yet. <laughs> might have to do that. That helped us. <laughs> Team uh, bonding. Yeah, that's a good I mean, idea. What about class, too? Obviously, yeah. you're in grad school. Yeah. How has that gone through the spring uh, yeah. as you've moved into the fall? Yeah, it actually just started, so it's been it's been crazy. I mean, right after this, I'll be going over. I'll be there till 5 and meetings all night. And it's just you got to bring the same mindset that I bring to the football field or any 
player brings to the football field is just you gotta go attack it, you gotta prepare, and you gotta be ready because if you aren't, um, it's not a joke. With Ohio State, your yeah. experience there, I'm curious about, and this isn't necessarily only about football, yeah. but the similarities mm-hmm. or or differences, just different nuances that you've picked up on or maybe have noticed um, now that you're at Duke, obviously you've got a big state school at yeah. Ohio State, right. private school yeah. here. Um, what have been some of the things that uh, you've enjoyed during your time at Duke? Yeah, I think, um, like you said, it's a big state school. I mean, I'm not sure what the enrollment was, but I know it was probably around 60,000. And coming here, it was like a small private college. It's kind of, it's to me, almost felt like a bigger high school because at Ohio State, like, I'd be have class with someone and I'd go in and I'd meet them and I'd never see them again. And um, I think the weirdest thing for me was having class with someone and then seeing them outside of class. It, it, it would kind of shock me because I wasn't used to that. But also another thing, um, I think just coaching styles are a lot different. And um, I think uh, just, yeah, it's, it's a lot different. And uh, the coaches, they really, uh, they really develop you as a person here as well as a player. And they, it's been, it's been really great. Always enjoy catching up with Evan Lyle, and he's one of those guys, having played at Ohio State, is accustomed to winning, and that's what he expects. And one of the attitudes that he's brought to this team and the offense, you can really tell that the guys around have respected him from day one. A, he's come in with a willingness to learn the playbook. He hasn't had an ego about him, but he's come in with a, an, an attitude of setting the tone and I think that's something that's important on the offensive line to have a little bit of a mean streak and he has that uh, that's what's needed in order to uh, really impose your will on opposing defenses so I always enjoy catching up with Evan Lyle and John he's going to be relied on along with Austin Davis at center and Gabe Branner at left tackle the the old hats up there the uh, the veterans to really push this team that's filled with some younger players, but ones that are going to be also relied on to uh, play a lot. Absolutely, Dave. And one of the things I've always uh, enjoyed hearing from you is how important uh, that chemistry and camaraderie is amongst offensive linemen. And you've got three guys you've just mentioned right there that are all redshirt seniors. Of course, this is just the first year for Evan Lyle, but he began to really uh, become a part of that group as soon as he got on campus. You know, he played in the Ohio State's playoff game against Clemson last year, and as soon as that game was over, went back to Columbus. Within two days, he was headed down to Durham to join his new team. And if you if you remember, like right about when he got to campus was when Durham had that big snowstorm last winter, and he got his living arrangements, and, was, and he, all of a sudden he was thrust in with all these new offensive linemen, and they're all shut in in the snow for a couple of days, and they all really got to know each other, and he really became much more bigger part of their group, and the chemistry began to really form for this team, that for that offensive line group during that particular time when they're all kind of together during the snowstorm before classes had even started. So a lot of camaraderie there, and it's going to be certainly an important part of the Duke team, how that offensive line plays this year to protect protect the quarterback, Daniel Jones, that we've already talked about, and also to help set the stage for some of those other younger players. You know, we have uh, for the Blue Devils this year, some some new players in the skill positions that I know Duke fans are going to be excited to see. Last year, uh, Coach Cut was able to play seven or eight of his true freshmen, but redshirted, I think, 14 of his freshman class last year, and a couple of those guys were big-time recruits. I'm talking uh, about Scott Bracey, the wide receiver, and Britton Brown, the running back, two primarily the ones I'm talking about, and those two are two of the highest recruited players that Duke has had since Coach Cut has been here. Bracey, one of the top 100 players in the ESPN 300 coming out of high school. Both those guys redshirted last year as true freshmen, and both are looked at to really be important players this year for that offense, and particularly Scott Bracey. Duke has a pretty solid receiving core with guys coming back from last year, but he is a big-time talent. He's got size, and he's certainly now been waiting a long time to get back on the football field after redshirting last year. Well, yeah, definitely. So that was probably my first year uh, not playing in a game of football in a really long time since I've been playing. So obviously there's definitely a anticipation factor but I'm just ready to help the team in whatever way I can. What was it like for you last year uh, redshirting not playing and what were some of the things you were learning and gaining with yourself to set you up for this year? Well I mean it was definitely good for me to learn the offense and be a year deep go through spring ball um, learn from some of the older guys like Anthony Nash, uh, Chris Taylor, TJ, and Jonathan Lloyd, everybody really everybody in the uh, receiver room because I was the youngest uh, receiver in the room so I could learn from anybody in there. What kind of things did you learn from those older guys? 
Uh, a lot of things, uh, maturity, uh, what it takes to be a Division One wide receiver, you know, how taxing it can be on the body and how to prepare to win games. You know, it's not just being talented, but you got to be in the film room. You got to watch film. You got to learn learn your opponents, all those types of things. What kind of insight can you give us into what preseason camp is like for a young player? Obviously, last year, uh, this time last year, you're a true freshman getting ready to go through your first camp, and now you've got another class of freshmen that are in here doing it for the first time. What are some of the things, like con- contrast what, how different it is from uh, when you come in to do this as a true freshman versus after you've been here a year? Well, after you've been here a year, you know, you have the whole off season to get your legs stronger, get your body stronger, faster, all of that. So you're definitely coming in more prepared than you would just from a summer workouts as a freshman. You know, when you get here as a true freshman, the strength staff doesn't really want to put too much weight on you that they don't know. They want to worry about form first. So once you get deep into it, you really get the chance to make your body stronger. So that really helps out when it comes to how taxing uh, preseason camp can be on the body. I wanted to flash back for a second to your high school career. I noticed uh, you were obviously a top 100 recruit in the country, and I, I looked and saw that you were an all-state player in Virginia, one year as a wide receiver, one year as an athlete, one year as a quarterback. Could you just uh, explain to us uh, how you were used, how your talents were used in high school, and why receiver is now your position in college? Well, in high school, I think it was definitely more of a factor of putting the ball in my hands, which was why I did a lot of different things, like such as quarterback. But I started out as receiver, and I enjoy receiver, but I originally wanted to play quarterback in high school. But I, it was best for the team for me to go and play receiver, so I did that. I had fun, and I think that's what's best for me and best for the team here at Duke. So that's really why uh, – I'm playing receiver now. I think that's where I can help the team the most is that receiver. Obviously, Scott Bracey is going to be a, a big addition to this team, Dave, but he comes into what is a crowded receiving core already. What what a huge benefit for Zach Roper and his offense, an embarrassment of riches, so to speak, with eight of your top 10 receivers coming back from a year ago. Yeah, that's the most talented the wide receiving crew has been at Duke under David Cutcliffe, and that's saying a lot with the likes of Jamison Crowder and Connor Vernon being uh, graduates of that crew themselves. And so I think this year the sky is the limit, uh, truly, for these players. And the most exciting thing there is that they've got a quarterback that is more than capable of delivering them the ball. But it's all about, when it comes down to it, how they can develop and continue working through fall camp as they prepare for the 2017 season. And offensively, each one of the coaches is focused on, first and foremost, making sure that their players are conditioned to the level that they know that they can rely on them when it comes down to the fourth quarter or into overtime. But then outside of that, are they aligned and do they know their assignments? Are are those correct? And can the coaches trust them to be in the right place at the right time doing what they're supposed to do? From there, you can coach things here and there, make tweaks, but really the basic and the fundamentals of fall camp is coming out establishing your ability and a a trust in the players to be where they're supposed to be on the football field, giving it their effort completely. Uh, And then from there, you start to throw in the wrinkles offensively where you want to attack defenses in in specific ways. Depth always so important. And Coach Roper has said in the media that, you know, he's not afraid to throw a bunch of guys out there. If everyone, as you said, has earned those opportunities and done things the right way. You've heard Coach Cutcliffe say that this is one of the more talented groups at wide receivers since he's been here at Duke. Should be interesting to see how that plays out. But there's not only position battles going on on the offensive side of the football. There's a lot to be decided on the defensive side of the football, John. There sure is, Dave. And certainly uh, in the in the secondary, that's where Duke is going to be pretty young this year. But it's mostly guys who have played before in limited roles. A lot of redshirt freshmen, sophomores, guys who got their feet wet last year behind a very veteran group of defensive backs that Duke had. Of course, we talked earlier about injuries, and Duke's defensive backs experienced injuries last year, too, and that gave some of these guys an opportunity to step up last year. Thinking about Devon Edwards going out in the Notre Dame game and Breon Borders not being able to play the last couple games due to injuries, and so some of the younger defensive backs were able to really get some playing time last last year. Not a not at all unreminiscent of back in 2013 when uh, the, the guys that were seniors last year first got their exposure as freshmen and redshirt freshmen. So there are quite a few battles on that defensive side of the ball. And, and talking to Coach Jim Knowles about it, he's certainly excited about what he's got back there in the secondary, also what he has uh, for his linebacking core with some young guys, and then what he's going to have up front with some younger guys on the defensive line where it's really a mixed bag right now. Worked hard at, at um, 
getting a bunch of athletic talent in the secondary, meaning, you know, go out and recruit five corners and, 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 and some of them will play safety. You know, the days of uh, Jeremy Cash, they may be over. I mean, it's just, you know, you need, you know, he became a linebacker in the NFL, which is what, he, you know, for us, you know, we were able to do some things in that system. So in, in the thinking, and you have to recruit really all true defensive backs and then fit them ones in at safety who uh, maybe are a bit more aggressive or, um, you know, have a little bit more uh, bulk on them to handle those challenges. I know there's going to be competition at just about every position as you get camp going and uh, start looking at the first few weeks of camp. But when you look at it, is, is there maybe one or two position battles that you're going to be particularly intrigued or interested in to see how things play out? Yeah, I think, um, you know, definitely on the, uh, the defensive line, you know, at the defensive tackle position, Mike Ramsey, we feel has had a great summer and is a real veteran and has really probably has taken over the leadership of that group. But other than that, you know, you got a bunch of guys that are going to really be in a, a, a fight there and we need them to step up, you know, with Edgar and Quaven and Trayvon. I mean, it, there's some guys who have, have kind of waited their turn and they're very talented and I'm interested to see who, who wants it the most. The last thing I want to ask you about, this is Coach Cutcliffe's 10th year here. This will be your eighth. So you've been here with him most of the time he's been here. And during the past offseason, you all had no changes amongst the coaching staff, amongst the full-time assistant coaches. You having been a head coach yourself previously at Cornell, how important is that to have that kind of continuity? And what can you do with that when you're starting to get a team ready to have a year where you have no change in your staff? It's so important. I mean, uh, from from someone who's been on all sides of it, you, you, um, you're immediately on the same page with the guys you work with and, and, and we all like each other we all get along and there aren't any egos you know in that room I mean everyone is willing to do what's best for um, the team and I think that's what you do with it because you know how each other works you can get a lot more done at a faster pace and you can have trust that you know when you need to make adjustments and things like that that happen during the game that you're able you're going to be able to do that better than most people because you, the guy who's next to you, who's handling the other positions, he knows exactly what to do. Knowles had a really a mixed bag on his defense last year. Uh, certainly there are some games where the, that got away from the Blue Devils, uh, especially in the end of contests and the end of the year where they had a, a difficult time both uh, stopping uh, explosive plays as well as getting pressure on the quarterback. But there were other a couple of games during the year that showed the kind of potential they have. I'm thinking of play, when they played Louisville and went up against the uh, Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson and that game was a three-point game going into the final couple of moments before a blocked uh, before a rough, roughing the kicker penalty enabled Louisville to get that clinching touchdown and of course North Carolina they went up against the number uh, eventual number two NFL draft pick Mitch Trubisky a quarterback and and really held him to two field goals in the second half that enabled them to come back and win the game. So they showed what they could do at different points during the year, and they, they want to get more performances like that out of the defense this year so that they can be relied on in the fourth quarter to help Duke win games. And I know somebody on the offensive staff as well, the offensive coordinator, Zach Roper, is also interested to see what his team can do in the fourth quarter this year. And I know, David, uh, that's something that's going to be a big point of emphasis for this Blue Devil team and really coming to play in the fourth quarter this year with that offense yeah and he was really excited about the productivity that Daniel Jones had late in the year seemed to get some of the turnover issues cleaned up and and we talked about the receivers that are coming back you've also got your top tight ends coming back your top running back and Sean Wilson who's a senior and coach already here in camp has talked about the offseason progression just from spring to now that he's seen in Sean Wilson really pleased. I think the first day after practice, he said he looks like a senior. He's a, he's a leader that we need. You know, went for 642 yards last year, was a leading rusher with four touchdowns. And all those pieces put together, uh, Zach Roper, when we talked, thought that, you know, that's a huge asset for Daniel Jones going into a sophomore campaign. No doubt that, that timing and rhythm uh, is important uh, on offense and it's important at the skill positions. So, you know, the people that he's going to be handing the football off to and uh, things in the backfield, uh, you know, with Sean Wilson leading the way there, there's a lot of experience there. Uh, they obviously have a great feel for each other. Uh, route timing, route execution, uh, having a great feel for when guys are going to come out of breaks. And obviously we want all of them uh, being as consistent as, uh, as possible in all, in all those things. Uh, but getting a chance to not only work with them all 
uh, last year, but uh, you know, end of the spring, end of the summer, uh, being Daniel's football team. You know, last this point last year, you know, he didn't know that it was going to be Daniel's team. It ended up being Daniel's team. Uh, you know, this year, you know, going into the summer, he knew it was going to be his team. The receivers and tight ends and running backs and everybody on offense and the whole team for that matter knew it was going to be his team from a quarterback uh, standpoint. So uh, all those things do lead to a to a timing and a rhythm. Uh, that uh, without a doubt uh, is, is going to help us uh, this year. Curious from your perspective as you go into camp, you do have a lot of returners, but you got some new pieces you want to get in the fold. How much of it is you know putting to get in place a game plan or a system versus maybe evaluating the depth chart and kind of seeing where guys are at? Just curious from your seat what you look for going into camp. Well, we got to do both. Uh, certainly, uh, the, the big part is personnel. Uh, it's not really doesn't matter what we do; it's who we do it with. Uh, we're going to put sound schemes out there. We're going to put schemes that are going to be aggressive. Uh, we're going to put schemes that are going to put guys in a position to be successful. Uh, but schemes are just that. Uh, they're schemes. If the people uh, that you're doing it with uh, aren't prepared uh, to, to do what you're wanting them to do, then, then your schemes don't matter. Uh, so the big part of uh, what camp is is uh, who can do what? Uh, what can our quarterback do? Uh, what, what's he capable of doing? What are, can the five guys up front do, what are, what are the things that they're best at, and then uh, with those two things being said, then who, who needs who needs the football? Uh, and uh, certainly uh, evaluating personnel is a huge, huge part of part of camp, and not just who the uh, first 11 that take the field are, uh, how many how many Duke Blue Devils can we put on the field offensively that can help us go win a game? And we'd like for that number to be extremely high. We'd like to be uh, too deep, if not more, at every position, uh, and we'd like to, We'd like to be an offense that plays a lot of people. Um, if they show us that they're ready to play, uh, they're going to get that opportunity, and that's what camp is about, is about evaluating our people, um, certainly more than evaluating our schemes. And finally, Coach, here at the outset of camp, what do you look for and say if, if X, Y, and Z happens, this was a successful camp? You know, with anything, uh, the offense has to be prepared. Uh, we've got to be prepared to go play a game on September 2nd, and that, that, that incorporates a lot of different things. Uh, that, that means we have to have – uh, the ability to get the right 11 people on the field on, on, on game day and uh, you know, do the things that you have to do before you can even snap the football. We, we've got to get 11 people on the field. We've got to be able to get lined up. We've got to understand that there's a 40-second play clock. Um, you know, all the uh, things that can happen to you in a first game if you haven't prepared well. Uh, teams can beat themselves uh, before their opponent ever beats them. And certainly North Carolina Central is, is capable of, uh, of winning this football game that we're going to open with. And uh, what we can't do is, is put ourselves in a position that we beat ourselves offensively and the fact that we can't get the ball snapped uh, because of penalty issues, uh, certainly ball security. You know, if you turn the football over quite a bit uh, against the team, uh, you know, you're going to put yourself in, uh, in, a, in a bad position. So um, we've got to be able to do all the little things, take care of the football, uh, and then let our, let our players do do what they do. Coach Roper in midseason form talking about penalties, breaking things down, things you got to do to win a game. Dave, does it take you back into the meeting rooms? Sure does. <laughs> That's typical offensive coordinator <laughs> fashion right there. I'm not surprised to hear that from Coach. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's right, though. When it comes down to the first game of the season – uh, that's those are live bullets, and you have a chance to lose a game early on. I mean, I was part of, unfortunately, a few teams that did lose their openers to uh, Richmond and to teams that we thought we were going to beat. And so unless you come in and you prepare the way that you should during the preseason, things can get a little bit dicey uh, during the, the beginning of the season. It strikes me in talking with Zach Roper and um, hearing John talk to, to Jim Knowles and visiting with Coach Cutcliffe, you know, Maybe they'll talk about schematics a little bit, but it, it seems like, curious to your perspective on this, Dave, that, that it's really about evaluating personnel in the depth chart at this point of camp. It really is. I mean, you got to think about it this way. Players, not plays. That's something that you hear a lot of times. Coach Cutcliffe's like, what? something is cliche for a reason, is what he'd always say. You know, something a, a saying became cliche. And another cliche term is you got to walk before you can run, right? And it's the same is true on the football field in that, you can't have these masterful plays where you're running a reverse or on a defense dialing up a corner blitz to come in and pressure the quarterback on a third down without having the players that you can rely on. We talked about this earlier, but about building trust, not only amongst the team from player to player, but coach to player trust as well. And so during this time, especially for a team and Duke, unfortunately this year, 
not having time during bowl practice to work on the development of some of the younger players and some of the players where maybe they did have game reps a season ago but didn't have enough to where they're comfortable in their position, this is the time to do it. And that's one of the positives to adding an extra week onto practice or onto fall camp is that they have the time now to take it a little bit slower, some time in between practices where the coaches can get in there. I know right now they're doing t uh, practice or meetings rather in the yo with freshmen so that they can devote a little bit more time to making those players understand what it is that's going to be necessary to, to get from them on the field on Saturdays and occasionally maybe a Friday for the win to, to, to come out. And it's coming at them quick. Uh, hard to believe we're less than a month until the opening game. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we'll take you around the program. We'll spend a week talking about the offense, breaking everything down from that perspective. The following week, we'll, we'll take you behind the scenes with the defensive side of the football. And, and then the week of kick, we'll get you set with special teams and all the final elements before that game with NC Central to start the year on September 2nd. But before we leave you on this inaugural edition of Blue Devil 360, we want to go off script a little bit, guys. You know, this is the 10th year of the David Cutcliffe era. And I know you guys have been around for most of it, all of it, in John Ross' case. To you guys, and I think you put some prep work into this. I see the notes out in front of you guys. <laughs> we'll, let's put 10 moments, lay them out there, 10 moments so far in your mind that have defined the David Cutcliffe era. Yeah, 10 years. This is the 10th year. So 10 moments for 10 years, a 10 for 10, if you will. And, you know, during the 10 years, the nine years so far, I mean, 52 wins and four bowls. That's not too bad right off the top. So it's not easy to pick out 10 great moments out of some of the moments Duke's had over the years. In fact, Dave, I, I could have probably picked out seven or eight of the 10 from uh, your senior year because 2013 <laughs> when they had 10, when you guys had 10 wins and and uh, won the Coastal, you know, it's you know, there a lot of, of moments. from 2013. Yeah, what? so, so this will be great. But let's we will give it an, an, a, a shot here at our at our top 10 moments from the Cutcliffe era, and we'll go in reverse order, and I'll start it off with number 10. And, uh, and when Dave and I were looking at this, you know, it's kind of difficult. There were a couple big wins from last year's team uh, at Notre Dame and the home against North Carolina. And the, the season overall wasn't what Duke expected, but with four wins. But that, that win at Notre Dame uh, early in the year, uh, we made our number 10 top 10 moment from the Cutcliffe era. And I, to me, Dave, it's partially because uh, they're on the road at South Bend, which is a storied place to go and play. And when you win at Notre Dame, it feels like you've had a big win. But also because the team was really dead in the water in the first half of that game. Uh, they were down 14 to nothing. They're arguably top player, Devon Edwards, had gotten hurt and was probably going to be out for the year. And where do you go? And you're playing a freshman quarterback in his third or fourth game. What are you going to do from that? And what they did was come back and win the game 38-35. to 35. And so the way they handled that situation and all the subplots from that particular game caused us to make that uh, our number 10 moment from the Cutcliffe era so far. Yeah, I, to add to that briefly, I think – the fact that they were able to fight back and prevent the wheels from coming off when it seemed like that was going to happen uh, and to pull out a win in such a storied place, I, I agree with you completely. That definitely deserves a spot in the top ten. Moving on to number nine, and shockingly, I'm going to pick a game from the 2013 season, John. The University of Virginia. Uh, Duke went up to play them uh, in 2013 and came away with a victory uh, after things looked bleak, again, this is a come-from-behind victory. Virginia came out early in the first half, put up 22 points. Duke comes out and scores 35 unanswered to come away with a win over the Hoos. And that was something to me that, talking about grit and the ability to fight back, I remember being in the locker room. We had just scored a touchdown, I believe, right before going into halftime. Things weren't going well offensively. Everybody's quick to point to one another and say, hey, what's going on? What's the deal here? And Coach Cutcliffe walks in and he says, guys, listen to me. This is what you play for. You need to go out here in the second half and enjoy it. You're on the road. Things are a little bit dicey, but go out and play football. In a sense, take the pressure off. And we were able to do that. One of my favorite memories from that game is De uh, Braxton Deaver going up and celebrating, standing beside the uh, the cheerleaders in the end zone. And it's where Duke, that 2013 team, in my opinion, really picked up its swagger. 
well, one of those Braxton Deaver touchdowns in that game is probably one of my favorite plays since Cutcliffe has been here. Duke was still down in the second half at that particular time, and it was a fourth down play, and they brought in Brandon Kinnett at quarterback, and Brandon had come in two times earlier in that game and and and, and had used running plays on fourth down, short you know short yards to pick up a first down. And that particular time, they they lined up, you guys lined up, and it looked like it was going to be another Brandon Kinnett uh, run around the end or whatever, pick up a couple yards, keep the drive going. Instead, he stopped and threw it out there to Braxton Deaver, who was wide open and went 47 yards. It was like an unbelievable play, and that's the touchdown that put Duke ahead. And that's certainly, you're, you're right, Dave, a very unforgettable game. And for number eight on our list, we're going to also stick with the 2013 season, and it's actually going to be your senior game when the Miami Hurricanes came in here and the Blue Devils just blew them away, 48-30. to 30. And really what was so impressive about that game to me, uh, you guys had a dominant finish, a 17 to nothing fourth quarter that game was 31 to 30 at the end of the third quarter and you guys were running the ball like crazy on that Miami defense I'll never forget the play where Shaq Powell burst up the middle on a 33 yard touchdown burst late in the game that really kind of said this game is over oh man I get goosebumps when I think about that game as an offensive lineman that is the best you're on cloud nine if you can put up uh, your 358 total yards of rushing and against Miami, such a storied program. Nobody really gave Duke a chance. That season being picked last in the Coastal uh, and to put the, the icing on the cake and the cherry on top of, of that season, the regular season at home, the crowd rushed the field. It, uh, it doesn't get much better than that for me. Now moving on to number seven, John You'll be surprised to hear that this is not from the 2013 season. It actually goes back to 2008 before my time, but a game against the University of Virginia, Coach Cutcliffe's first season, and uh, a victory over the Hoos, 31-3. to It was Coach Cutcliffe's first ACC win, and it was uh, Duke's first ACC win since 2004. They played Clemson and won. Uh, back in 2004, the Duke defense forced six turnovers. And Mike Taulili, who that guy was amazing. I, I was a recruit. I was living in Orlando, Florida, watching a lot of the games on TV. And I just knew Mike Taulili was the real deal. And he truly was. That game had 16 tackles, a pick, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. And that really helped set the tone for Coach Cutcliffe's entire career, I think. That, uh, that game could be up there toward the top five, if, if you ask me. Yeah, that was an unbelievable game. His first ACC game, getting a big win over a rival like that. And I'll never forget the Jay Hollingsworth touchdown in that game where he really ran over the Virginia defensive back right at the goal line and knocked his helmet off and scored the touchdown. It was really a, a great moment in that contest. Moving on to number six on our list of top ten moments from the Cutcliffe era. I was thinking about uh, a, a, another game against a Virginia team, but this one on the road when the Blue Devils went up to Blacksburg in 2015 and had that wild, wild 45-43 to win in four overtimes. And not just because of the drama and the excitement and everything that happened in the game, but also because that was the sixth win of the season for the Blue Devil team that year. And that, that really... Uh, cemented their bowl eligibility for a fourth straight year. So they got the overtime win and they qualified for a bowl and it was still, still plenty to go in the season. So that's our number six win from 2015 at Virginia uh, Tech. I really like what, it, what that win set up. I think that anytime you can pick up a big win, especially against a foe like Virginia Tech on the road, playing up there, my favorite place to play in the ACC, really helps build confidence for a team. And that's why... There's no surprise that number five is an, an, another Virginia Tech game, 2013, the 13-10 Duke victory over the Hokies, the first road win over a nationally ranked team for the Blue Devils since 1971, with Virginia Tech being ranked 16th. Neither offense was really working out all that well. The Duke defense was playing extremely well, and anytime you're going against a Bud Foster coach defense, uh, there's going to be a challenge. It's loud in there, but we knew we needed to get a touchdown. And we had been practicing this quarterback keeper zone read play to the outside with Anthony Boone. And everybody, Boone comes up to the offensive line and he yells out the play that Roper had called. And everybody off on the offensive line, when we got the call, we knew that we this, this thing was going to score. And we go up there, we block it pretty much perfectly. 
And uh, sure enough, Boone scampers around the outside for Pater for the Blue Devils. And I remember just the major sense of relief to know that we were finally able to get a touchdown on the board inside Lane Stadium. Uh, and that turned out to be the, really the deciding uh, score uh, of the game and something, again, that set up that coastal winning season. It sure did. In fact, our number four on our list is going to be the game that clinched the Coastal Division Championship a couple weeks later in the, the regular season finale that year, 2013, the 27-25 win at North Carolina. It gave Duke a 10th win in a football season for the first time in school history. You know, one of the previous heroes from that Virginia Tech game was Ross Martin, who had two 50-yard field goals in the first half. In this particular game, Ross Martin had the game-winning field goal with two minutes left in the contest. And uh, also, Devon Edwards had a big interception at the end, plus a 99-yard kickoff return. And after that game, and you were talking earlier about in your interview uh, about uh, what do you do uh, when you first uh, uh, see the victory bell after a game. And uh, you guys were... Uh, anxious to get over there and see that victory bell in 2013, bring it back to Durham. What, what, what was something you might remember about ringing the victory bell at oh. Chapel Hill? John, I always enjoyed playing on the road, but playing in Chapel Hill was something that I cherished even more. And when you have the victory bell on the line, it's always a big game, but to have the championship be on the line as well uh, was awesome. And to silence the crowd at Keenan Stadium and for the piercing noise of the bell ringing back and just being able to pull that handle back and forth for it to just echo around the empty stadium was something that I will never forget. And, uh, oh, it's just how sweet it is, to use a, a Bob Harris <laughs> term. Um, moving on to number three, I've got to go back to 2013, Texas A&M and the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Not the outcome the Blue Devils wanted in a 52-48 loss to Texas A&M, but an incredible game nonetheless. My biggest memory, though, from that is the fan support that the Blue Devils had. For me, it really culminated a lot of work personally that had gone into the program. We came here to buy into Coach Cutcliffe's dream of turning this program around. Each one of the players on that team believed that he was the guy to do that. A 10-win season, playing on New Year's Eve, primetime, national television, and to have to walk out there, we had a devil walk before the game. It was packed uh, like nothing I'd ever seen before. We had more fans there than Texas A&M. To me, yes, we did not win that game. But I look back on that as, as just complete um, validation of all the things that we had done over the years, all the struggles through three and nine seasons, and really that Chick-fil-A bowl game, uh, it signifies so much more than just a win or a loss in my book. And it was such an unbelievable game. Uh, you know, Duke versus Johnny Manziel. You guys had over 600 yards in offense. Like, you scored every time you had the ball in the first half. And you mentioned being on the, the national stage primetime. 8.7 million viewers on ESPN. That's the largest audience that's ever watched Duke play football. And that was, at the time, the largest audience for an ESPN bowl game. That's a non-BCS bowl. So that really did capture the nation, the way that game played out. Unfortunately, not a win, but an unbelievable event. And that brings us to number two on our list, which is also a bowl game, and that's the 2015 Pinstripe Bowl up in Yankee Stadium. And this was a Blue Devil win. 44-41, to 41, Duke getting its first bowl win since 1961, something that uh, people all around Duke football have been looking forward to for years, and especially with the four straight bowls, like in that fourth one, finally coming away with that victory in a bowl game. I remember there were so many big plays in that contest, and uh, I know Thomas Sirk was excellent in that game. And it was uh, Ross Martin, again, who got a big field goal in overtime to help Duke win. But, you know, three 100-yard rushers in the game for Duke and from Cirque, uh, Sean Wilson, and Jalay Duncan. And uh, really, Sean Wilson had a lot of big plays in that contest. So yeah, that game, just an overall, finally, you talk about uh, validation, that one finally getting kind of the stamp of a victory in the postseason for Duke football. You're right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that Duke had gone to four bowl games and had some crushing defeats. We talked about the Chick-fil-A Bowl, but – the Sun Bowl, something a game that Duke could have easily won. Going back to the Belk Bowl, something that I've tried to completely erase. Oh, from I my know memory. you have. All of us uh, have. Those are games that Duke was in. This time, finally, and it looked like it was going to fall apart at the end, but it was Thomas Cirk at his best with a nice five-yard run with 41 seconds to go to tie the game to take it into overtime. That to me was just such a great moment for Duke to to be able to stand on the sideline and to watch. 
Coach Cutcliffe and the players celebrate and be able to enjoy having a win at the end of the season, something that Duke hadn't had in many, many years, was very special indeed. And finally, the number one play, I'm sure it's not, or moment, if you will, I'm sure it's not a big surprise to many of you out there or to you, John, but the 2012 North Carolina game here inside Wallace Wade Stadium. Duke coming away with the glorious victory, 33-30. to And that's the first win over North Carolina since 2003. And you got to think about the Jamison Crowder catch at the very end of the game to go up there, a contested catch against North Carolina defenders. Sean Renfrey tosses it out, and he comes down landing on his head but keeps the ball in his possession, and it's a touchdown. I... I, there are not many things that get me really, really emotional and riled up, but that's one of them, John. Just the, the memory of the crowd rushing the field. And uh, at that night, uh, Wallace Wade Stadium was about as electric as it could be and a very special place, a uh, memory I will never forget. Yeah, the catch by Jamison Crowder, probably one of the most unbelievable plays in Duke football history. And it capped off the drive, which you mentioned Sean Renfrey had led the Blue Devils 87 yards in 14 plays with just about three minutes to go after North Carolina had taken the lead. And there were several third down, I think three third down conversions on that drive and a couple of them to Connor Vernon. It was an unbelievable thing. What do you remember about when you saw Jamison catch the ball, hit the ground, hit his head? Uh, ha uh, referee's hands go up. It's touchdown. <laughs> You're ahead, 33-30. Well, I, I was just like, man, this is right. <laughs> this is the way the game should end because we were winning. We were running the ball all over them, winning the game. The defense was playing well, and there was a crazy play where Ross Cockrell forces a fumble, um, and the ball's loose on the ground, and Giovanni Bernard comes up, runs behind Ross and picks up the ball and ends up taking a play that was going to be great for Duke and scoring for UNC. And then for Duke, we had, we were on the sideline. I remember say, coaches saying, guys, this is what it's all about. Go out there and have fun. And Connor Vernon, you mentioned, put together quite the drive, picking up those third down plays and uh, just the, the victory in the end. Uh, amazing. A very good list that the two of you put together. I mean, I really well laid out. But the question really is, what does the source think? Oh. What are his moments? What does Coach Cutcliffe think? And did you guys match up with what he thought? Well, obviously, you jump right back to the pinstripe bowl. Um, that, that New York City, um, you know, hearing Sinatra sing New York, New York, uh, a bunch of happy players, rightfully so. We'd been so close, you know. We'd, I'd done a little better job. We'd already have won a Chick-fil-A bowl and a Sun Bowl. Um, had a real chance to win the Belt Bowl. Now, I think we're a great bowl preparation team. So that was a great moment for us. And then the Coastal Division uh, clenching and all those young men that worked so hard. And we did that on the road at North Carolina. So that's two absolutely golden moments. See, Dave. I think what you underestimated there was the Yankee factor. I know uh, after the game he talked about being a lifelong Yankee uh -huh. fan and winning in Yankee Stadium. I think – I might be wrong. I think that might be what pushed it over the top. Well, clearly he likes Frank Sinatra too, so that had to do something. <laughs> but uh, He made a good point about Duke being a bowl team, though. You know, if you looked – I haven't done this at all. This is off the top of my head completely. But the four straight bowls that they went to, uh, you, the average score must have been something like – you know, 47 to 43. I mean, high-scoring, dramatic, back-and-forth, really explosive bowl games, the four bowl games that Coach Cut has led Duke to. And all against really high-caliber opponents, which I think is something that uh, shows their preparation. They spend hours in the meeting rooms getting us ready for those games. Do a great job. So as we kind of put a wrap on this one, the, the first edition of, of Blue Devil 360, we're, we're just getting started with camp. All the athletic seasons are just getting underway. Some final thoughts from you guys. Let's start with you, John. Well, just that this is a, a great time of the year because of all the uncertainty that lies ahead. You, everybody thinks they've had a great offseason. They've prepared to get bigger and better. They've worked hard in the weight room and on the practice field and in conditioning and all the things they've done 
from the moment last season ended to try to make sure the next season's even better than the previous season. And right now is the time when all that work is being put in, and you're st- but there's still complete uncertainty, having no idea what really lies ahead for most teams, but particularly for this Duke team, just because to me, because they are so young. They do have some a, a lot of youthful players they're going to be relying on. they got a great leader in their head coach and their coaching staff, but there's just so much uncertainty to me that makes it exciting. Gosh, John, you're making me anxious. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say – my thing is, you know, the, the beginning of camp and the, the past week, they've been in uh, sh- shorts and helmets, occasionally maybe shoulder pads toward the end of the week. But now it's time to don full pads. And it's about learning how physical this team is going to be. And it goes in, it really plays into what you were saying, John. But it's a decision that you make now that can help take away some of that uncertainty. And uh, the players and coaches have to decide that they're going to be a physical team. They're going to like contact come out and really grind during the dog days of camp uh, with full pads on and push themselves. And one of the key things to that is being able to push yourself as far as you can, but also protecting yourself and not coming away with any injuries. Uh, The Blue Devils definitely want a physical practice, but one that is safe in the end. Well, it should be a busy couple of weeks here as we get set for the rest of camp. Again, next week we'll join you with a look at the offensive side of the football. The following week we'll take a look at the defensive side of the football, and then we'll get you set in the final week of this preview running up to kick with some thoughts from the head coach and also take a look at special team. Shameless plug time. We want you guys to join the conversation. John, what's the Twitter handle? At Duke Radio. Feel free to uh, watch it and feel free to communicate with me that way. Dave, where can the masses find you? Ooh, at Dave Harding Jr. on Twitter. I'm David Shoemate. It's at David Shoemate. Simple enough. Uh, S-H-U-M-A-T-E. Invite you to join us throughout the year. Join the conversation, and we'll talk to you next week.